Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Welcome, glad you guys are here. If you're new with us, my name is Chris Kipp and I have the honor to serve here as lead pastor and uh, we are so delighted that you're here. We're gonna be in a, a portion from the book of Acts. We're going through a series called Wildfire. We're almost done with this series. What we're doing is we're looking at some key moments in this very first Jesus movement, the early church, and looking at how the gospel spread like wildfire. And the, the passage that we're gonna talk about today is incredibly significant for us. And I'm really, really excited about this passage that we're reading today. And in light of it, I was thinking of being a kid at the beach. Uh, every summer, my parents would drive us for hours and hours and hours to a place called Gulf Shores, Alabama. It's the Redneck Riviera. It, it is an amazing place if you haven't been there. And we would drive there. We'd go through Louisiana on that long bridge slash highway, right? And we think we're never going to get off this bridge. We'd finally make it there. We'd, we'd stay in a condominium. And I remember being a kid and just playing in the waves on the beach. And I, I did what I see my boys do now, which is, you know, you're, you're diving in and out of the waves, you're uh, trying to body surf the waves, or you're doing uh, kung fu moves on the waves. If you have boys, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like it, they turn into fighters and they fight the waves, right? And so I would do this for hours, like playing in the ocean. And then I would have a panic feeling and you probably know what, what happens, is I would look up and realize the building that was there was not the building that I was staying in. The, the beach umbrellas were like a different color. I couldn't find my family on the beach anywhere. And I would have that like, oh my gosh, what's happened? And what had happened was the building that we were staying in had not moved. My family had not moved. I had moved. The current of the ocean had slowly pushed me down the beach and I had drifted from my original place. What we're going to look at today is how we can drift from our original place in the gospel of Jesus. Matt Chandler is the pastor of the Village Church in the Dallas area. He's the president of Acts 29, which is a network that we're a part of as a church. And he was seeing lots of people in his church that were coming to Christ that had been in the church for years. And he was getting puzzled because he's like, you know, how did you guys grow up in the church and, and be a part of the church for so long and yet you're just now coming to Christ? Like, please tell me that, that your churches were teaching you about Jesus and about, about the gospel. And so what he had them do is he had them go back into their study Bibles and their notes from youth camps and all the places that they had, uh, you know, been taught. And he said, I want you to go back and look at those notes and the, at that Bible and tell me that you were hearing the gospel, but your heart just wasn't ready yet. 
And some of them came back and said, you know, yes, that's, that's true. We, we were hearing the gospel. I went back and looked at my notes and they were telling us about Jesus, what he had done. And my heart just wasn't ready to hear it. I just, I couldn't hear it at that age. But what troubled him was that there was a greater number of people who came back and said, we went back to our notes and we went back to our study Bibles. And what we saw was don't drink, don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Don't have sex before marriage. And we had all the rules, but we had not heard the gospel. You see, if you come from a background that was, you know, Bible teaching background and they're trying to keep you out of trouble as a young person, a lot of times what we do is we first go to the list. Don't, 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 do, do, do. And we give you the list and we say, this is what it means to be a Christian. Well, That's kind of what was happening in Acts chapter 15. If you want to look there with me, start turning there. This is um, this is after Paul and Barnabas have gone out on their first missionary journey. We talked about last week how they were sent out, how God called them. We talked about calling last week. It was an awesome time. This week, we're seeing that they've come back now from that journey. They're kind of explaining all that had happened. And what happens in this Jesus movement is that the message starts to change. In fact, one way to stop a movement is to change the core message. And that's what begins to happen here. And when that happens, the good news of Jesus becomes a little less good. So Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So let's just make sure this is clear. This is a massive drift. It's huge. Gentiles now, according to these that are saying these things, have to become Jews in order to be Christians. And that's a massive drift. This Mosaic law, this included circumcision. Ladies, you're thinking, okay, good, we're off the hook. That's a man issue, not my problem. You guys deal with that, right? But it's more than that. It's deeper than that because that would indicate that you're going to commit yourself to keeping the whole law which included rules about food, kosher and unkosher foods, ceremonial washings, 
It included the um, temple sacrifices and keeping the Jewish festivals. And what they're saying is, look, if you don't become fully Jewish, you cannot be saved. Meaning, you're not forgiven, you're not reconciled to the Father, and you have no assurance of eternal life when you leave this life. Unless you follow the entire law, if you become fully Jew. It's Jesus plus works of the law. And the good news is sounding less than good to the Gentiles. Okay, let's pick back up in verse six. It says, the apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter after there had been much debate Peter stood up and said to them, brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Now Paul and Barnabas are going to chime in. It says the whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James, who was the brother of Jesus, responded, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon, which is Simon Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. Verse 15, and the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. And this is so important. Because what's happening here is Peter saying, look, I saw the vision. I saw the sheet coming down with the clean and the unclean animals. And that voice said, get up, kill, and eat. And of course, Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice says, do not call unclean what God has called clean. God arranges this divine appointment 10 years before this moment. He goes into the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He preaches the gospel. And as he's talking, the spirit of God comes down. They begin to speak in other tongues and prophesy and declare the greatness of God. It's like Pentecost all over again. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, look, we just came back from mission. And guys, it's nuts what's happening out there. Signs and wonders like God is moving among the Gentiles. But here's James. And I love James because he, he's so needed. Because what he does, he says, look at the word of God. We need people like James. Because we have amazing experiences with God. But we need people like James who say, look at the word of God. And James begins to quote from Amos 9, 11 through 12. He says, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who were called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. 
but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since, for since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaimed him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this massive drift, this change, this, this um, dispute that's rising up, and it's all about keeping this Jewish law, the full Mosaic law. Now, I just want to be clear with you on this, that what they're talking about is ceremonial law. Now, they, they, were, they still had uh, laws that concerned morality, okay? Now, he's not saying that we, we don't listen to anything from the Old Testament anymore. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that we don't have to become ceremonially Jewish to become Christians. And that's the issue that is at hand. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is what legalism can't do. Because what we have here is legalism is coming back into this gospel message. And what we see here is that they're distinguishing between what Jesus does and what the law does. What the love of God does and what the law does. And then what the gospel does and what legalism can't do. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The first point that I have for you is this. Jesus can do what legalism can't, which is he can save us. Jesus can do what legalism can't because the law only condemns us. Romans 3.20, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, meaning nobody will be saved, nobody will be declared righteous by following all the rules perfectly. He says, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. I, I liken it to this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're, you're driving down a road, maybe it's a road that you don't drive down very often, and you're like, you're confident, you're almost positive that the speed limit is 45 miles per hour. Like, you're feeling pretty good about that. Like, I think it's 45, right? So I'm going to go 45. And then you, you get down the road, and you see the speed limit sign, and it says 30 miles per hour. And then you see the state trooper right there next to the sign, right? You are busted. The law only shows us that we're wrong. It condemns us. You see, no one has been able to keep it perfectly. It's what Peter says. Guys, why are we going to put a yoke on these people that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? All it does is condemn. It, all it does is show us our need for a Savior. And if you've grown up in, in a system, maybe a, an understanding of God or in a church where all you heard was don't, 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 and you did all that perfectly, it cannot save you. It, it, it won't work. When you stand before God, when you pass from this life, if you did all that perfectly and you missed Jesus, it will never work. It's not sufficient to save you. All the law does 
is exposes our brokenness. That we're more broken, we're more sinful than we would ever dare to admit. You see, sin isn't just something that we have done. Sin is a disposition inside of us that perverts everything that we do. And even the best of us, we will fail at legalism. It cannot save us. But Jesus can. Jesus can save us. <laughs> Only he who lived the life perfectly on our behalf, fully God, fully man, can save us. And so this is important. When I, um, when I call you to faith, when I stand up here on a Sunday morning and I preach and I call you to believe in Jesus, what I'm not calling you to do is now start following all the rules perfectly. Like come to Jesus, turn to God, and if you follow the rules perfectly, then you will be secure in your salvation. That's not what I'm calling you to do. What I'm calling you to do is to believe in the only one who has done it perfectly and to receive his work on your behalf. So Jesus can do what legalism can't. And if faith alone in Christ alone through the grace of God alone is not enough for us, then our belief system is just one more religion amongst all the world religions. That's all it is. But we have a risen Savior who can save us. The second thing I think we need to see is this, that love can do what legalism can't. Love can do what legalism can't. Here, here's what I mean. It has the power to unite us. I want you to look at these instructions that they give them in verse 19 and 21. This is James speaking. Later in the passage, they all agree on these and they send a letter that has these instructions inside of them. He says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. Now, some of you like your steak like medium rare, okay? According to this, you're a sinner. Like, I'm sorry. It's, I'm, it's, you're going to have to start getting it well done now. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Here's what that means. What that means is that he's enabling table fellowship between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. He tells them, you will do well if you do these things. Meaning, you will be able to be united. This diverse church will be united if we let the gospel, the love of God, do it's working us. Love can do what legalism can't. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about this at length. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Get this, bearing with one another in love. Making every every effort to keep the unity of the spirit 
spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Verse four, there's one body and one spirit, just as you're called to one hope, that you're calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Meaning this, that unity is what holds the diversity of the body together. It's the very love of God. It's the bond of peace in the Holy Spirit. And how this looks is that we lay down our rights for the benefit of others because Jesus laid down his rights for us. Philippians says that he who being in very nature was God, right, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. This is what healthy gospel community looks like. It, it brings unity to our diversity by laying down our rights. Here's an illustration. I think this is kind of pertinent for us is that um, some of you, you like to have a glass of wine, right? It's okay. You don't have to like pretend if you, if you enjoy to have a glass of wine, right? That's okay. Some of you, you're like, you know what, that is from the devil. You, you need to get that stuff out of here, right? You, you will talk about the wisdom of not drinking alcohol. You, you see this thing very differently. Now, when you look at the, um, the, the whole of scriptural teaching on alcohol, you can say, yes, there is, there is truth. that There is wisdom in abstaining from alcohol. But you can also say that the scripture says that it is, is okay for a Christian to have alcohol. It is within their rights. But some of you can have a glass of wine and you can enjoy that glass of wine. You can enjoy what type of grape that is and the flavor and all that kind of stuff. And you can let it be that and that alone. Some of you have a glass of wine and then you have a whole bottle of wine and then you end up in another state with a new tattoo, right? You have a problem with alcohol, okay? Some of you may have been raised in a home where there was alcoholism and that's painful for you. And so when you sit down to dinner with someone and it's a Christian, your brother or sister in Christ and they order alcohol, it brings up things inside of you that are very painful. So here's how we live this out. If I know that you will struggle with alcohol, if, if, you will, if this will create sin in you, right? It says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, meaning we're not gonna give control of our senses to anything other than the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, right? So if, if I know that this is gonna be a sin thing for you, I am not gonna order a glass of wine at dinner. I'm just not gonna do it. I'm going to lay down my rights for your benefit, right? Because that's what love does. Love lays down our rights for the well-being of other people. We could argue, well, the Bible says that we can drink and blah, 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 blah. And we could totally miss the spirit of the word. We lay down our rights to serve one another. And it's, that's not legalism. <laughs> legalism says... 
If you jump through these hoops, you're in. If you follow this set of rules, if you live in that box, you're in. But if you go outside of that box, you're out. Right? It divides us. Only the love of God has the power to unite us. So love can do what legalism can't. The third thing I think this shows us is that the gospel can do what legalism can't and that it brings us joy. If you look at um, verses 30 and 31, we didn't read this yet, but I just want you to kind of look over there. They've um, sent this letter out now from this, the, the elders in Jerusalem. They've sent it out by these men that are going back. They, they deliver it. Verse 30, so they were sent off and went down to, to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. Verse 31, when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. The people get this letter back that says, no, you, you really are forgiven by Christ alone, that you are reconciled to the Father by Christ alone, that, that you have assurance of eternal life when you leave this world through Christ alone. You don't have to become a Jew in order to obtain this. Like, you have received the gospel. And when they hear that, they're filled with joy. Because legalism kills our joy. And as these Gentiles are re-gospeled, it fills them with rejoicing and joy. Martin Luther, one of, the, one of the basic observations that he made is that religion is the default mode of the human heart. And uh, he he. he made this, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a true statement that religion is the default mode of our hearts. And I hear this even when people say that they're non-religious, right? So they say, I'm not religious, I'm not, you know, I don't go to church. And they might say a statement like, God doesn't have much to do with people like me. Right? God can't use someone like me. What that means is, I know that I'm not living good enough for God. You'll hear this statement kind of in a, in a different way where they say, I'm not religious, but I think, you know, if there's a heaven that God would let me in because I've tried to live a good life and I've tried to be a good person. I've, I've tried to help people when I had the chance. And so I think God will let me in because I've tried to live a good life. And what they're saying is this, I think that I've lived good enough. One says, I know for certain I haven't lived good enough. The other one says, I think I have. And the problem is that those are actually very religious statements from non-religious people because it's all about what you've done. Did I follow the rules as best as I understood them? It was all about the rules. And it's two sides of the very same coin of legalism, that it's all about what I've done. You see, legalism says my righteousness depends on my performance. Now, the reality is that um, you probably didn't walk in this morning freaking out about the Mosaic Law, 
Like, I don't know if I, I didn't offer any sacrifices this week. I didn't go through the washings, right? You know, you, none of you thought that this week as you were coming here today. I, I, am I right? Yeah? But here's what I've learned. I, I think about my kids. They play on the trampoline in the backyard and they, they turn games. We'll go out and they'll have like jump ropes tied across the trampoline and they make these games on the trampoline and we'll hear screaming. It'll turn into like angry words at one another or, or some kind of fight and we have to yell at the back, you know, out the back door. Because what happens is somebody makes a rule in the middle of the game. If you had an older sibling, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? It's like that used to be base, but now they're like, no, that's base now, right? And so now they get to tag everybody over here because they're making up the rules in the middle of the game. And I think we're kind of like that because the default mode of the human heart is legalism. It's religion. And it may not look like the Mosaic law, but it might look like that person that you see that seems to have a better marriage than you. Or that person that you see that seems to be a better parent or their kids are like, you know, they're just more well-behaved than your kids and you, you have that sort of that thing that rises up in you. It might be that person that you see and it's like they always have the Bible answer. It's like, how do they know the Bible that well? Right? They like understand it so well. And, and you have this thing that rises up in you. Or the prayer life, right? They have such a great prayer life. That person seems way more self-confident than I am. Or their appearance, like they just, they seem to have it more together than we do. And what happens is we kind of make up rules as we go. And instead of like being able to humbly learn from another believer and just, and just to bless them and say, man, you are like, you're a great parent. Or you're, you're a great spouse. Or I just, I love your knowledge. Like we, instead of being able to bless them and learn from them, we turn it into a comparison game and we make a new law. Well, if you're going to be a good parent, then you have to do blah, 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 blah. And if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to really walk with God, then you blah, blah, blah. And they make up these rules along the way, and we turn things into legalism. And then we feel good about ourselves if we're on top of the game. And we feel terrible about ourselves when we're losing at the game. Tim Keller says that failing to believe this gospel will make us radically insecure people. That our joy never finds its place. We're radically insecure when we live according to legalism. I remember in college ministry, I, there was a book that came out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Have you ever heard about that book before by Joshua Harris? It's kind of an older thing. And I remember being in college ministry and now it was like the new law. If you're going to date someone, you had to know that you were going to marry them before you asked them out. And you had to like talk to their parents before you ever did that, right? And so it was like this heavy courtship thing. And so all the, the singles in our college ministry started freaking out. They're like, I, I, like, I want to go on a date with them, but I don't know if I'm going to marry them. I'm like, who, how would you ever know if you're going to marry them unless you go out on a date with that person, right? It's just crazy. But what happened was this thing that was trying to guard people from just casual relationships and sexual immorality, that was taken and turned into a legalism, to a law. And it killed joy. 
because that's what legalism does. The gospel can do what legalism can, is that it brings us joy because my right standing never, ever, ever for once has depended on my performance. Isn't that beautiful? It's freeing. My righteousness is in the finished work of Jesus and not on whether I've kept his law or even my own law. My joy is in Christ. The gospel isn't the entry point. It's not just the entry point of our faith. It's the every point of our faith. It's not just the ABCs. It's the A to Z. It's what we return to over and over again. And like these Gentiles that are hearing this about, you know, following this Mosaic law, we have to be re-gospeled over and over again to be reminded because our hearts so quickly turn to legalism. So the gospel revives our joy. So Jesus can do what legalism can't. He can save us. Love can do what legalism can't. It can unite us. And the gospel can do what legalism can't. It brings us joy. Are there any of you that speak more than one language here? Yeah, yeah, some of you, awesome. I, like, I'm so in awe of you that can speak more than one language. I, I can speak English poorly, okay? That's, that's the extent of it. Um, but I actually did win the Spanish award in high school. I don't know if you knew that about me. You could probably tell of my fluent Spanish, no. I, I, um, my, my friend's family had uh, like horses and animals and they had a family that spoke Spanish that lived with them and we had this sort of like banter with them and they would razz us, give us a hard time and so they would yell things at us in Spanish like, callete tu boca, you know, they would yell things at us like, you know, just to make fun of us and so we would walk into Spanish class and we would just parrot back all the phrases that we heard from this family and so our teacher thought like we really had a grasp of Spanish now, two years ago in Cuba on mission trip, I realized I do not have a grasp on Spanish, right? I know just enough to be dangerous. When I say things in Spanish, all the people just started laughing like it was so terrible. And uh, so I was thinking about Spanish and how, you know, you learn the alphabet and then you learn the words and you learn the verbs, and how to conjugate the verbs. And then you learn like kind of all the secret rules about the language and when to do what. And then eventually you learn sentences but if you're really gonna learn a language, you have to be immersed. And there comes a point, I don't, I have never experienced this, but there comes a point when you learn a language so well that you actually dream in that language. It's called your heart language. When you know something so well that you think in that language, you dream in that language. And I was thinking about this gospel message I'm afraid that we know just enough to be dangerous. That we've learned the alphabet. We've learned a few words, a few phrases. But we haven't immersed ourselves in the gospel. We don't dream in gospel. We don't think in gospel. We still think in legalism because our default mode is religion. So I want to give you two points of application 
The first thing is this, when you wanna learn a language, you have to go and immerse yourself with people who speak that language. I want you to immerse yourself in gospel community. How we live that out here is what we call house church. This is a place where we come and we pray for one another and we hang out and we laugh and we talk about all the things that we face in life. And one of the things that we do is we speak gospel. We're all learning. (laughs) We haven't mastered it, but we're learning together. I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in gospel community. The second thing is this. I was thinking of um, when you're at the ocean and they have those swimming ropes that are put out in the water, I guess to keep jet skis from running over children or something, I don't know, but they have like swimming areas that are designated swimming areas. And it's like, when you're in that area, you're safe. And I wanted to give you just sort of some ropes out there so that when you, when you feel the drift, you can kind of look up and see something that will guide you home. And so what I wanna do is just gospel truths on the screen for you. The first one is this. This is a a rope for you. This is something to hang on to. It says, I am worse than I've ever dared to admit. And I am more loved than I've ever dared to imagine. That you are loved in Christ more than you could have ever imagined. And at this very same moment, you're more broken, more sinful, more messed up than you ever, ever wanted to admit. Every now and then, my wife and I have discussions. I don't know if you and your wife, your your spouse have discussions. And one of the things that happens in those discussions is I realized I am worse than I ever dared to imagine. That I I can sort of believe my own hype about myself. And I need mirrors, people that say, no, 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 that's broken. And at the moment, what keeps me from despair, what keeps me from depression is knowing I am more loved in Jesus than I ever could have imagined. And even though I have failed, Christ has succeeded on my behalf. Second gospel truth. I am saved by sheer grace and not my past, present, or future performance. Oh, come on. I mean, that's so good. (laughs) Not only have we broken God's law, we've broken our own laws. We failed to do the stuff that we tell everyone to do. And our right standing is not based on that. It's sheer grace. We never earned our way into it and we can't earn our way out of it. I'm saved by sheer grace and not my past, present, or future performance. And lastly, this is important. I am accepted in Christ, therefore I obey. Now, here's how that's different from legalism. Legalism says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. And what legalism does is it tries to arm twist life and God into working out for ourselves. And we say, I'm gonna follow the rules, 
right? I'm going to be the best husband or wife that, you know, God's ever seen before. I'm going to raise my kids better than anyone's ever raised their kids before. Man, I'm like not going to be too controlling, but I'm going to keep them safe. And, you know, like you have all this stuff in your hearts and your minds, right, of how you're going to do it right. And a lot of that comes from a really good place. But when life doesn't work out for you and your kid rebels, and you say, God, what's up? I did everything like you said. And we use our legalism to twist his arm and say, you better make this work out for me. That's, that's a religion of the heart. Grace says, I am fully accepted right now in Jesus Christ by his finished work, not my own performance. And therefore, I obey him because I love him. Like it's my delight. It's my joy to obey him because he's already accepted me. I'm accepted in Christ. Therefore, I obey. So gospel community and gospel truths, we need things that help us when we drift. So friends, I want to call you back to the original place back to that original spot before the current of our own hearts and our world swept us away, back to the gospel. Jesus can do what legalism cannot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.